Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Hello and welcome to Web3 Unpacked. Today we have Randy Hipper, aka Miss Teen Crypto, a New York a New York native whose goal is to spread crypto adoption across Gen Z. Welcome. We're excited to have you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much. So Randy, uh, I guess maybe give us a background on how you got into crypto, uh, how you founded the channel Miss Teen Crypto. Uh, you know, that's such an interesting story. And you are very, you know, young for the space. It's interesting to see, uh, you know, people of all different uh, age groups getting involved. Thanks, Matt. My journey started when I was 13. My dad was actually telling me about Bitcoin, this this internet money. And at first, he actually thought it was a physical coin. After learning a little bit, he found out what Bitcoin actually was. And after that, he couldn't stop talking about it. He fell down the rabbit hole, to say the least. And I didn't really understand for a while. All I heard was a number go up, money this. I thought it was for adults, people in finance. I essentially didn't think I could do anything with Bitcoin, with crypto. This all changed when I was 16. We did our first Bitcoin transaction. I saw how easy it was to use. All you have to do is copy and paste an address, scan a QR code, and that's it. Instantaneously, you could transact with anyone anywhere in the world, no matter where you come from, what your age is, all in one spot. I could go into the store. They could scan my phone or I scan a QR code, and I don't have to do this whole fiat interaction. I know kids that throw their pennies in the garbage. So loose change isn't fun anymore. No one wants to carry a wallet. I don't want to carry a wallet. I saw how this was going to change the way we transacted forever. So when I was 16, I fell in love with Bitcoin. By the time I was 17, it was April 2020, the world was sad. We were in lockdown. I like to be more of a positive person. I like to talk to people, and I didn't have that chance at that time. So what I did was I went on Twitter and I went on Instagram and I was like, hmm, let me try this handle Miss Teen Crypto. Let's see if it's available. It was available everywhere. And I just took the username. I started tweeting. Then I started creating videos. My community grew and I wanted to grow with the revolution. I wanted to grow up with Bitcoin. Right. So I just started tweeting, making videos, started doing on the street interviews, my podcast now, two podcasts. So just a whole rabbit hole I fell down. But I'm very happy to be here and just being a part of a revolution and educating Gen Z and the world mm. you know and yeah it's a great start and it's kind of funny you know, i'm trying to get my kids into crypto my son wants nothing to do with it my daughter is a little more interested because of nfts and the art angle and design angle but it's a it's a it's a tough sell sometimes to uh to younger audiences or even more so older audiences i should say um but you know you brought up some really interesting topics in there as far as why you know the why we always like to kind of scratch the surface and see we know what, kind of how you're using it with nfts and transacting and you know holding wallets whether cold uh, you know a cold storage or a soft wallet but really at the heart of it why do you feel crypto is important, one for you and, and perhaps for Gen Z, really important. Crypto is a revolution. And with a revolution comes with a whole ideal and a whole list of reasons why it matters, right? Bitcoin, you get to be your own bank. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, uh, where who you are, what gender, race. You could be a part of this. Uh, people in other countries, in the, in the U.S., were particularly spoiled. But in other countries, you can't afford to be banked. But as, as long as you have an internet connection, you could take part in a whole decentralized economy where you wouldn't have that chance to invest or actually transact value to begin with. So I think it op opens the door for a lot of other people. Now, if you look at NFTs, it offers you to be your own store. So Bitcoin, you could be your own bank. NFTs, you could be your own gallery. Previously, artists, they had to rely on a physical gallery to say, hey, you're approved. Your art is okay. I'll let you display here. But now with NFTs, you could display your art to a global audience. You get to just open the doors for yourself and take part of that revolution, be self-sovereign. Um, in addition to that, I also saw that it could be an appreciative asset, Bitcoin in particular. When I was first getting into crypto, not only was I saying, hey, this is going to change the way we transact, but it's also going to change the way we hold value. Um, I saw that 
listen, my $200 in the, my bank account at 16 years old, I was told when I was little that number was supposed to grow or supposed to earn interest, but I never saw that number move. And I was like, hey, what if I move that in Bitcoin and I'm just saving this money anyway? I'm not touching it for a long time. Why not just put it in Bitcoin? I could, it could appreciate from there. And there's only, one, there's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. How many people are in the world? So just that alone, I saw you could have, be your own bank, be your own gallery, and be self-sovereign and hold your value yourself. Yeah, the, the, the idea of sovereignty, right, and the idea of being a store of value is missed by so many people, you know, so many people. And and part of our job, and I think part of a big part of what what you do, Randy, is is educate, right? And educate from from the the core beginnings and the core I- ideology of why this started. Like 2008, you know, Occupy Wall Street, um, you know, uh, banks and financial institutions really having their way with the American people and getting a slap on the wrist. And then the cypherpunks come and say, not on my watch and there's a better way. Um, and the idea of, I mean, I love throwing out the book because um, it's so fantastic. If you haven't already read it is the sovereign individual, um, which is, is wonderful. It was banned in the United States and other countries for a while. Um, <laughs> once you start reading it, it, it really kind of, um, gives out the secrets to society and, and, and government. And, um, it's kind of freaky reading it. Um, but it's really important that people understand that sovereignty is everything. You know, self-custody and making decisions for yourself is very, very powerful. And that is indeed why the crypto universe is being kind of met with opposition at times. So, yep. On that freedom point, Randy, just curious, what do you think in terms of like FedCoin and other things that could potentially enter the market? Does that jeopardize Bitcoin in any way or, or do you think they can coexist? In my eyes, I think it will spread adoption in a lot of different ways. Right now, we're, we have a little bit of an educational gap, and people don't understand what it means to be their own bank because for generations now, we've been relying on banks. We've been relying on someone else holding our value for us. This is a kind of a new idea for a lot of people. Now, I worry about CBDCs because, again, if once that comes in, that's dangerous. Not only does that eclipse your financial life, but your life as a whole because they can limit what you do from there. And that's something that people really have to do their own research on. I do talk about it a lot on my channel as country country after country is just launching CBDC pilots and actually just implementing it. Um, and other countries like Nigeria, they're forcing you to use their CBDC because you can't withdraw money from the ATMs as much as you want anymore. I believe it was like $45 a day or something like that. I do think it's going to hit a point where people here in America are going to say, hey, we can't do what we want with our money. We already saw that during the pandemic. The banks were closed. ATMs had a limit on how much you could withdraw. The accessibility to our funds is not the same as it was a few years ago. This is only going to escalate. CBDCs are going to push for someone to say, hey, I can't control what I do with this money, but what money can I control myself with? What money can I transact with whenever I want to whoever I want? And that's Bitcoin. So I think we're going to hit that road where it's just going to be an explosion of adoption from all ways around. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't agree with you more. Um, there, there, it, it is a good thing for people to get involved or matriculate into a true digital uh, um, economic ecosystem for sure. But when the government or the Fed, you know, issues CBDCs or whatever, the Fed coins or whatever they're going to release, there is a certain amount of tracking and and data that they will be able to, and governance that they could put uh, across your economic world. So for example, um, if the government needs to hand out, um, you know, stimulus checks, for, for example, they can tell you what you can buy and what you cannot buy, right? You can buy gas to get to school. You can buy gas or food, groceries. You cannot buy beer or cigarettes with it. So it's a, you know, careful what you wish for kind of thing. Um, the adoption, I 100% agree. I think it'll actually just propel our whole environment, our whole world, the crypto world, uh, in a good way. 
but you have to you really really have to be careful what you wish for uh as far as these these tokens go uh and, and the control they they can put put over you the whole and the whole idea the whole strategy of this this world was to have less control less governance and more so to your point earlier more sovereignty so we got to really watch this and another thing too is um regulations are good you know in, in a lot of ways right um but we the crypto community you randy should be uh, on capitol hill you you know you know telling people <laughs> so uh, you run for office right I'm, now. I'm hiring we're, yeah we're, we're nominating you uh you're probably the only one of the few level-headed people we've actually met in this space but um <laughs> or out there no, no. I think we've got a few I, level. I, well, it's a pretty nutty space. I'm, I'm half joking, <laughs> but it's this. This is a theme that we're we're starting to push forward on our podcast, where it's one is education, what we talked about on every angle, but two is governance is good, as long as it's being shepherded by people who are in the industry, who understand the dynamics, who understand the technology, to help government officials and, and uh, regulators make the right regulations um, over time and not force feed people because we see what happens with that. I think we've seen a lot of that in this space, especially uh, before the big FTX collapse happened. The spark originally came from BitBoy, a.k.a. Ben Armstrong, and he <laughs> was pushing for, I remember, a pro-crypto bill, um, something that he was like that, like you were saying, something put together by the community that's for the community. And he tried to go to SBF. He tried to go to FTX and say, hey, will you support this? Then they were actually coming up with their own bill that was anti-decentralization, anti-peer-to-peer transactions, anti-DeFi. So again, like we also need to make sure we're putting the right people in that position and putting and doing our own research on the people in this space, no matter who they are, and make sure that we don't find out all this stuff that like when it's too late, right? With SBF, he was talking everywhere. He was, you know, on top. And then all of a sudden, look what he's into now. So we have to just make sure that we're putting the right people in that position that could, again, like you said, just make sure crypto can move along in the right way. Yeah. And, and to, to the people part of your conversation is <clears throat> really important because we're now telling clients that otherwise would have been hiding behind DAOs or just really trying to operate uh, building protocols and applications kind of in the uh, behind the scenes, we're tell now telling them that, no, you need to have legitimate people represent humans representing your brand, just like the NASDAQ does, just like, you know, Elon does with, with his companies. Like he's the spokesperson. He's the person put in front. People want to know, uh, and they're getting smarter to your point. We, we need to understand your history, where you came from, what is your history outside of crypto? What's your history inside? Um, you know, I think pe everyone has, you know, the right to have a certain amount of privacy. But when you're talking about large amounts of money, it, this becomes a, a major concern. Um, we just literally had uh, Ben on a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about this very, very same th topic. Um, he's also doing something really interesting. And I, I think... He's trying to work with uh, Bahamian government uh, officials to secure the secure the rights or the 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 houses that were purchased there, so that that money, when it's sold, doesn't go to the government or any other officials or arbiters, if you will, uh, and it goes to the to the the people who invested. So I, I think that's really interesting. Um, he's doing some good stuff, and he's trying to track the whole thing. Uh, as he as the the whole thing unfolds, which is uh, literally every minute by minute, <laughs> something new is happening. Here's something I'm really curious about mentioning Ben Armstrong because right now we're here 2023, and when you look at the crypto landscape, it's still very much about speculating which coins are going to move up, down, what kind of price action. When we talk about you know Bitcoin being used as a currency, I think we need to start. I would presume we need to see some kind of relative stability. Uh, what do you think would be the precursors for that? When do we get to that point where 
people aren't worrying that 60k is suddenly going to turn into 16k and then back up to 50k like when do we see price stabilization in the coming years I think it's going to take a little time for price stabilization. However, I do think a lot of people are going to flood into this space in 2023 in the next few years, being that we do have the Bitcoin happening not too far away um, in 2024. And people are, think that's a big catalyst for market movement. So again, you're going to see a lot of money flow in just for that reason, for the FOMO. I do think, again, more countries like El Salvador are going to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender because, they again, they want something that is appreciative. You know, El Salvador has been buying Bitcoin throughout the bear market. People are still transacting there. And although you could do, you know, the transactions where you could um, transact your B, your have your fiat, um, your Bitcoin go to fiat instead. Um, so there's there's a couple of different ways. But I do think Bitcoin's going to boom. People are going to transact it anyway, just because they do want to take part in this industry. They want to take part and experiment with it. People transact just to move it around, just to try it. I think a lot more people are starting to move Bitcoin. Especially if you're looking at BitPay, right? And their stats. Um, that's just one example of like a payment provider for Bitcoin for cryptocurrency. There's so many more transactions on there. People want to spend their crypto. I think there's going to be a big move for peer-to-peer transactions, especially because you're going to have, again, CBDCs that are in pilot programs right now. The New York Fed is in a pilot program for CBDC. So again, a lot of people are going to be trying to move into this industry very rapidly. I think we're going to see a huge increase in adoption. Yeah, uh, we we wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, when you look at not that we want to hover around, you know, coin go up, coin go down. But when you look at where we're now, which is like, what, 16,800 or around 16 to 17,000 dollars over the past month or so, or maybe even longer, um, you know, falling. All people see is, wow, $65,000 a token, you know. Uh, eight months ago or nine months ago, and uh, the fall is tremendous. Well, that's considered a correction. Like everything is correcting and leveling out. Every industry, not just stocks, bonds, and uh, every company is like half what it was. Everything. (laughs) Sometimes stocks like fall 80% in a day and nobody talks about it. But if Bitcoin goes down 10%, it's, oh my God, there's a crypto collapse. There's a contagion, yada, yada. It's all fun. It's all fun. They always use that same word, like collapse. And then it always keeps coming back. It is funny, right? Yeah. Yeah, Crypto crisis or something. It's always something dramatic. We talked that we were joking, I think uh, a couple of weeks ago about this. Um, the amount of times someone published the amount of times that crypto has actually ended or crashed or whatever. Or died. And it's like hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of t- dates and times, exact times. This and, is it. It's finally yeah. dead. And then Yeah. Dead. How many times has China banned Bitcoin? Like we've heard that to flood the market. How many times? You can't even count it anymore. It's just the same thing. Like, you know, cri- cryptos for criminals, all these same lines that yeah. are just going to be used and used until they can't be used anymore. Yeah, the the Silk Roads of the of the world. Um, well, that's you a know, whole but, interesting but, story. Yeah, yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. That, that's another thing. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. We'll have you back on. Um, you know, but seventeen thousand dollars per token—that is nothing to sneeze at. And to me, it, it's pla- it, it it's stabilized. It is stabilizing, right? I think the next couple of months, to your point, right. Um, we will see what will really happen. I think you might see a little bit of a dip before it goes back up. And then towards the happening in about a year, you're probably going to see some real movement for sure. Not financial advice. Not, Not financial, financial advice. advice. Yeah. I mean, considering that, you know, the money supply has been endlessly money printer goes burr and, you know, we're just constantly at a disadvantage because, you know, market movers are moving the market when we have no say in anything. So I guess considering everything going on in the macroeconomic picture of this world that Bitcoin is doing OK, sitting at I think it was 17.3 when I checked this morning, but I think it's still doing fine. Even when I came into crypto and I created my account on Twitter, Bitcoin was around 7700 even then you can't complain where it is now considering that a lot of other assets don't have the gains that bitcoin has even at this point yeah and some of the things we especially for new investors younger folks even you know all age demographics getting in and if you're fresh and new to this one of the things you know i i've been involved in this space since 2013 Right. So uh, quite a while. 
Um, I've started dabbling in day trading. Didn't have the stomach for that. I went into mining. I did some mining on the side for Ethereum and all that good stuff. Called wind really, up computers back then. Wind up computers back then. <laughs> yeah, it was running on. I, I, no, I had a pretty substantial mining rig. Um, it was pretty cool. But the one thing I always like to really kind of shout from the rooftops is don't don't like this market dip market crash whatever you want to call it it's one of many i've been through it tons and tons of times i thought i was going to lose my cookies every every six months um and uh, oh my investment is lost no it, it, it's not it really isn't and Every ten years, the 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 normal or the normie uh, economy basically goes through the same thing. Always, this is a more compressed uh, timeline. It's like Moore's like Moore's law, where everything happens exponentially faster and sometimes even more dramatic. Um, don't get upset. Don't get discouraged. Hang in there, and just keep pushing ahead. And dollar cost average. Um, there are some really interesting. Uh, standardized uh, 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 investment tools and, and methodologies that still work within the crypto world. So pay attention. Um, it's not over until it's over and it's not going to be over. Um, and this is a great point to get in and, and, you know, take the next ride. What's, what's your thought on um, the so-called altcoins? Cause you, you cover, uh, I know Bitcoin. I, I see you talking about Litecoin, which I don't hear a lot of people mentioning very often. Um, a sneaky one. Yeah, but I guess where do you see the value and how do you see them coexisting with Bitcoin? And, and is there a big distinction? I know we have the maxis out there who feel that, you know, it's all Bitcoin, everything else is whatever. Uh, but there are other interesting tokens out there like Solana, you know, obviously NFTs on Ethereum and, and you know, or Litecoin. Curious to hear your thoughts on why that one is interesting. Yeah, Litecoin in particular, I've always been a fan of Litecoin since I actually got into crypto. And I, the reason is I, I'm a big believer in Charlie Lee. He's been on my podcast three times. I think he's a great guy. And um, if you look at what he's done, he's just a very smart person. But besides him, Litecoin is a faster Bitcoin, 84 million Litecoin to ever exist versus Bitcoin's 21 million. So you still have that finite supply. It's faster. It's cheaper to use. You could spend <laughs> millions of dollars um, in one transaction, but pay a cent or less in fees. So I think it's a lot more feasible if you're, you know, compared to Bitcoin, right, if you're not using Lightning. Um, the other day, I spent $2 of Bitcoin. I was transferring it to another wallet to test it out. $2 of Bitcoin. It took 20 plus minutes to confirm, 75 cents in fees. If you're at a coffee shop, you can't wait that long. You want to pay that much to buy a cup of coffee. Versus Litecoin, if you show up to the store, it's right there. Once you press that send button, they receive it pretty much right away. The confirmation goes through, a penny or less in fees, and there you go. You're done. So for that reason alone, I think Litecoin is great, especially Gen Z. We don't want to wait for anything. We don't have the attention span to be waiting here for a transaction to go through. We want something fast. We want something easy, and that's Litecoin especially because it's so accessible. Everywhere where Bitcoin is listed, Litecoin is listed. If you look at Bitcoin ATMs, which is primarily where people under 18 are looking to transact from, being that you have to be over 18 to get on an exchange, um, Litecoin is always there too. Bitcoin, mm -hmm. Litecoin, and then you always have others. I do have um, other altcoins. I do believe in other altcoins. I do think there are other blockchains and other solutions that other altcoins and blockchains can offer that Bitcoin cannot. I think a lot of people don't want to transact their Bitcoin. Again, they want to hold their Bitcoin. They want to stack that. They want to keep that. So again, are you going to transact Bitcoin to buy an NFT? Do you want to spend it to buy a couch right now? Maybe not, but other yeah. altcoins, other things that are faster, easier to use, more accessible, a larger supply to be, you know, to have more money, I guess, um, I think is a is something that's going to be played onto. And I think, you know, obviously there's going to be other tokens, other blockchains that could come out of the woodworks tomorrow to solve something that we can't even think of. Other, you know, other consensuses besides proof of work, uh, besides proof of stake, sorry. Um, there's going to be a ton of different ones. I think we're just extremely early in this industry that we don't know where anything's going to go yet. Um, of course, there's other blockchains like Ethereum, Solana. Um, I am a fan of, I am, I'm, a, I'm a blockchain enthusiast. I'm a fan of all blockchains. Um, I do think there's faults in others. I mean, Solana has had issues, as you've seen. You know, it's gone down plenty of times as strong ties to FTX and VCs. So we're going to see how that plays out for the sake of everyone there and all the good projects that are built there. I hope 
hope it succeeds, right? But um, I've been minting on wax as well since like November 2020. That's where I originally had my NFT collection. So there's a ton of other blockchains I've used and interacted with that I think are going to solve great problems one day. Oh my gosh, you, I, you just mentioned wax. I I have a wax account and uh, own some wax uh, and, you know, bought it, you know, I don't know. It's like 20 cents. I don't even, I don't even know what it, what it was, but um, <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting uh, platform. I heard a lot of underground buzz about that. That's why I jumped in because a lot of NFT art communities were jumping on it in the entertainment world as well. Um, so really, really cool. And to the, to the altcoin discussion, it is about being lighter and faster and more peer-to-peer. And you're 100% right. Bitcoin to me, and I always explain this to people we're trying to kind of elevate through the through the uh, the crypto world, is, you know, think of Bitcoin as a store of value, a store of energy. Um, you kind of, you maybe drip it out, but you go into alternative ecosystems to play with new products, to mint NFTs, to do lots of different things. And that's what we do from a learning and a building perspective for our own company, Arc. We're, in, we're transacting on the Solana exchanges. But what becomes like the de facto, you know, is Litecoin the de facto kind of cash, if you will, you know, where you can spend really quickly. I think if you're in the pure play web world, it's going to be a host of things, a host of uh, platforms and protocols to be working with. And then when you're kind of uh, IRL, you know, in the real world, you may be using something, you know, your wallets like credit cards or, or cash. And that might be Litecoin or something else. But it is fascinating to see it shake out. Um, there is no there is no right answer right now, and I think there'll be multiple multiple tokens for lots of different types of transactions. We even have like basic attention token with um, uh, Brave, Brave and things like yeah. that. One of my um, favorites. Yeah. When we look at like uh, a lot of these other tokens, it seems like there's a big gaming component, and that kind of ties us back into Gen Z. Is that where you're seeing the excitement from Gen Z? Or are you seeing the excitement from Gen Z? Are you trying to uh, push younger people to get interested? Like, how's that divide? Because there are plenty of, of folks, um, you know, right now in the institutional world who are looking at, at these assets and are very intrigued. But uh, it seems to me from the younger perspective, it is much more on the art. It's on the NFT side. It's on the gaming side. There's almost different incentives for entering this. When I first came into crypto, there was, you know, kind of nothing else besides, you know, Bitcoin, besides like the basics of the space. There weren't really dApps when I came in, not a lot of the fun stuff. Now, I think there's a lot more fun stuff for people to connect to versus when I came in. It was more about the finance aspect. It was more about the revolution. A lot of kids, I hate to say it, they just they just want to care about the tokens. They want to have fun. And I think I don't think that's a bad thing at all, because I think besides the revolution, this is going to be something that's a part of our daily lives anyway, from gaming to coupons at the store. So I do think Gaming is going to be a great and a huge catalyst for crypto adoption in the next year or two, being that it's easy. It's something that, again, a lot of games make it easy where you could just log in with email password. Then you get a wallet that you that's custodial. Then you learn about what's going on. You learn how to use it. You figure out that, hey, this is a digital asset I could sell. I could rent it if I'm not using it and create a passive income. Um, I could I could trade it with a friend, which you couldn't do on the App Store. I used to buy games as a kid on the App Store, but I couldn't send my skin in a game to my sister on her phone. That wasn't a possibility. Now it is with NFTs. So people are going to learn about this revolution just by falling into it. And I think that's what gaming does. I think it's really great. Even things like um, Thunder Games, T-H-N-D-R, they're simple in the fact that you could just download the games on your phone and earn sats. So just little pieces of Bitcoin, um, which I think is really great. So not only are there simple games like that, but you also have the fun ones with all the tokenomics and everything like that, which I think is extremely important. Gaming is going to be absolutely huge. It's already developing at a very fast pace. A lot of big people, Ubisoft, Microsoft, everybody is coming in to gaming because why wouldn't you? If you don't get with it, you're going to fall behind. Mm. Yeah, and I think you hit on it before where it's, you know, interoperability and sharing and, you know, working on multiple platforms or protocols and sharing your content. You bought the Nike kicks. Well, I want to wear them in the metaverse or, you know, have them on my avatar or whatever. So I think that really, you know, and how do we put it, uh, Matt? Um, it's the connective tissue 
between NFTs, economics, gaming platforms, metaverse, when all of that kind of starts to gel a little bit more, it's all going to start to make sense to your point, like crossing over and, and using all of my digital assets and that have truly become part of my personality perhaps, or my persona. Um, and maybe you have multiple personas, who knows, who knows? We've gotten into conversations about that. Um, uh, but it is it, that connective tissue will actually bring a lot of things together and it's not just going to the PS, the, the PlayStation uh, channel. It's not just going to, a, you know, an Ubisoft game. It's now, how do we cross pollinate? And I think it'll start slow with some of our digital assets, uh, whether it be graphic, audio, or video, uh, and certainly through data as well, personal data, how you have control over your data will be a big part of it as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because there's certain wallets that can track your IP and everything like that. So there's a ton of things and kinks we have to figure out. But again, we're extremely early. So like there's there are games that are coming out on the App Store, right? Of course, Apple wants their 30% cut. But again, that's another podcast. Um, so people oh, do, yeah. they start off with a custodial wallet. Then they learn about what this is. And they're like, hey, how do I get this myself? Then they move on to like a non-custodial wallet. And they're like, hey, okay, private keys, store them, have, have my asset. Then if I need it, I could transfer for it wherever I want. And that's, woo, that's, that's where the good stuff happens. That's where you're going to see so many people just immer immerse themselves in this space. And even with the metaverse, there are a ton of uh, projects that are bringing like the physical and the digital where you could buy the physical shoe, get the NFT wearing in the metaverse. It's the just, yeah. yes, the fidgetals. Yeah. I love the fidgetals, like magazines. <laughs> um, there was one magazine I just did an interview with and they uh, have one that they're, that's on a, as an NFT. And then you could also like buy the physical copy. I think that's so beautiful. I think there's just going to be so much more of that comic books, especially with gaming. They have a lot of comic books associated with that. That's going to be digital and physical. So many use cases, bands, social tokens, like they can use social tokens. You buy X amount of band tokens, that band shows up and does a concert for you. Mm. So many use cases here that are really just going to open the doors for everybody. Yeah. I'm quite partial to the whole, uh, NFT for concerts, because, you know, a lot of what we talk about, one, it's, it's proof of attendance. And two, if you really understand how to develop NFTs with true utility, once you're at a venue, you can point portions of stadiums to different uh, exits or vendors or specials. You can have in-show games at halftime. You could do different really wild types of, um, you know, uh, uh, games and, and activities that include the entire arena or just you personally uh, in that moment. And you're, now your ticket, you, literally your ticket to enter becomes something more engaging and per perhaps engages you after the show uh, in, in, in deeper conversation or activities or gaming. So love it, love it, love it. It's just not, the, the, the possibilities are endless. And one thing we always say is you're you're basically in this world you're limited by your own creativity and that is it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, Randy, Randy, you you've got your finger on the pulse of of I would say a younger generation Gen Z. Um, you've developed a wonderful platform for yourself and channel and and you understand how to communicate in this space really, really well. We want to know a little bit more like your approach to your audience, right? What platforms are working for Gen Z? Are NFTs really the hot button topic? What kind of content do, are they getting into DAOs? Do they understand DAOs? Um, you know, what's working, what's not? I really think everything is working for Gen Z, particularly, again, they want to be self-sovereign individuals. We we know the concept of digital property probably just the same as millennials, maybe even more, right? Because we've grown up knowing that, you know, we go on the Apple store, we could go and buy, we have our iTunes gift card, then we have our digital money now, which then we go and buy a digital game and pay for that with digital money. Then we 
exchange our digital money for in-game tokens and assets, except we didn't own them. Now this just takes us to the next step. So again, everything's easily integratable for Gen Z. So there's a bunch of different ways that we could just acclimate ourselves to this climate. I think especially you've always heard the saying from Gen Z, if you didn't take a selfie, you weren't there. Right off the bat, we know our content. We want to own our content. We want to be rewarded and given the credit for our content. So everything about crypto, the whole revolution of crypto is so attractive to Gen Z. There were even articles over the summer that 94% of all cryptocurrency buyers are Gen Z or millennials. Almost 50% of Gen Z millennials want crypto in their retirement funds. This number is only going to grow. And why wouldn't it? Because everything's going digital and we understand that better than most people. So this is something that we're going to embrace at a very, very rapid pace. Once Gen Z comes into this space at full, like full swing. The space is not going to be the same. And a lot of people are not targeting Gen Z as an audience and you're missing a big part because who, what, who's using their mom's credit cards to play Fortnite and to take part in all of these digital economies and Roblox? Gen Z, the kids. So why wouldn't we work on that? And that's why I'm trying to do that. When I first got into crypto, a lot of my friends, they heard of Bitcoin, but they had no idea what it was. I was like, okay, I have to do my best to tell everyone what this is, not let anyone be left behind. Gen Z should be leading this revolution, not be behind the revolution. And I think in some ways we're halted um, with age restrictions, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, th- yeah. That's, that's always that's always going to be it's always going to be an issue. Um, yeah, I, I worked with Nickelodeon and I ran design for them for many years, and ha- yeah, r- exactly right. So, but we always were cautious about you know from from a design standpoint the the elements we use, but the language we use, and it was considered for the very very young um, you know pre K to K. Um, uh, audience was a mommy and me ex- experience. So mom gets on uh, and then introduces to the kid to the game. So it, it's a, it's a delicate balance. Um, and, and you're hundred percent right. You know, Gen Z is um, digital native, right? So I'm, I'm kind of half and half. I'm not going to give you my age. Um, <laughs> uh, probably Matt won't either, but um Digital native. Um, I was always a little bit more progressive in the, in the in the early '90s with technology. You know, I dabbled in VR in the early '90s. Like, who did that? Like, I created a bookstore uh, with a buddy of mine to illustrate a point. Um, only you know, two or three, four decades too late, too early. But um, that's been going on forever. But digital natives, and this is, and it, it, it's truly about understanding habits, right? It's understanding how and where and why people within Gen Z spend their money uh, and the value they put on specific items. So if you ask a Gen Xer or a boomer, what do you think of this NFT? He's going to say, isn't it just a JPEG? Well, no, there's value, intrinsic value behind it. And there's a whole economy and marketplaces to this whole thing. Well, that's going to kind of fall on deaf ears. But once you start to say that to a digitally native Gen Z person, they're going to say, yeah, I get it. That, that conversion is a lot quicker because you're right. They always got the gift cards for Christmas or, or Hanukkah or whatever for the holidays. Um, they understood how to use codes r- very early on. They were into the gamification of everything. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it you're and 100 percent right on the idea that they do own they can own the space and it, it, it could mean and again, not financial advice, but it could mean absolute economic freedom. And there is a changing of the guard happening and people have to understand that. You know, just look, you don't have to be, you know, uh, a rocket scientist to understand the reason why the government's scrambling, why people are confused, because there's a lot of FUD and confusion and fear thrown in purposely, but people confuse themselves, too. Um, I think it's this generation that will cut through and really it'll just be normal. There won't even be any arguments. And to our earlier discussion, Gen Z folks need to get involved in kind of telling the story, educating, and actually helping to write the, the, the playbook. 
Well, one thing I talked about too is we, I think we're sort of almost seeing the term, it's becoming so inherent that the term NFT is almost disappearing, right? Like we're just yeah. moving to more digital collectibles. Uh, Randy, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on some specific projects. 2022 was an insane year for mass adoption in terms of big companies getting in. Uh, what do you think of some of the big 2.5 plays? What 2.5 plays, what we call them, you know, like Starbucks, Odyssey, and things like that. Obviously, we're seeing Nike with Artifact making some pretty bold moves in the space. Um, is that a step in the right direction? Do you feel concerned that that's not decentralized enough? What, what are your thoughts on, on some of that? I think it's like the classic saying, we're bridging the gap between yeah. Web 2 and Web 3, right? And I think in any way that I think it's good. I think seeing familiar faces is okay, right? Sometimes people in the crypto community, they, they get a little salty. Like a celebrity might come in or a big brand like Nike might come into the space. But at the end of the day, if you're talking outside of people of our crypto Twitter bubble that don't have any clue what Bitcoin is, don't have any clue what NFTs are, and all of a sudden they hear their favorite singer or their favorite artist come Come into the space or their favorite brand like Nike come into the space and say, hey, we believe in this space and this is what we're doing here. And these are the assets we're putting out. Of course, that's going to bring eyes. When Adidas, uh, I think it was Board Ape Yacht Club, did a drop, it nearly, it, bro- it literally broke EtherScan. So the excitement is so it's there. Like literally breaking the internet, yeah. Yeah, it was literally <laughs> yeah. breaking the internet, which only makes you think, what's going to happen when billions of people are rushing to get different drops every day by major different brands? I think it's inevitable. All of these brands are going to come into this space, whether we like it or not. And I think it's going to just help people figure out and navigate the legitimacy on this space because there's so much fun out there. So seeing all this offsets it, especially if you're looking at Nike, people collect shoes. I know kids in high school that were every day posting, yo, I got the sneaker and I'm going to sell it for this much and or trade it for, with you for this sneaker. Then you also have Starbucks heads that literally the minute Starbucks gets a new cup, they're rushing in there to go grab it. So the collectability of Starbucks is already there. So now them skirting in with Polygon and having this Odyssey collection is perfect because now you're capitalizing on that collectability and making yourself early. So any company that's jumping in now, I think it's rather smart um, to position themselves in the web3 space become well known become trusted and then uh you know proceed in being a leader but i definitely do think it's gonna help i'm super 100%. curious on the starbucks heads like are people really that big on the mugs i didn't know that oh was a thing. man i saw videos on tiktok recently when the christmas ones came in people swarmed in and they were sold out within minutes at a wow. certain location so yeah, definitely the- it's there the clear ones, right? They have like little sparkles in them. The, or yeah, like or... those big cups, like the reusable yeah. cups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, Matt. I you know I don't really get the Starbucks thing. The Nike thing. I grew up with that. You know, um, sneakerheads are abound, and it's, it's a huge that, economy. It's a huge. It's a, like a whole sub economy that people don't really realize, uh, or they do. Um, but yeah, they're. I love the analogy of the, the the bridge because it is important that these 2.0 world brands, these big brands actually take their first step. Um, I, I love the idea of artists getting involved, one taking more, you know, maybe it, it's through um, rights management, their music. They're taking more control over the management portion and the business portion of their music career um, and letting the, the the audiences kind of really become part of their world that those will become micro uh, economies um we were talking to napster uh, a few months ago and their whole new platform which you would love is really about um creator and audience participation uh create you know these creative universes that they're going to create and subsequently these kind of microcosms of, of business and entertainment will butt up and new economies will spring out of it. So I, I think the, like they're just getting started and I think, you know, um, the audiences will actually take it further than they even expected to. So um, it is a bridge. It'll take time. Some of them will fail. And you know what? I, I applaud everyone who tries everyone including ourselves just do it don't don't complain about it don't bellyache about it um get out there and try it i don't care if you're small medium or large brand go for it you know we're we're doing stuff you know on a, on small amounts with DAOs and nfts and who's coming in and building audiences 
Um, you know, Nike and Artifact are doing some outrageous cool stuff. I mean, I think that the Artifact is on basically the cutting edge, I think, of, of marketing, basically, um, and understanding their audiences and how to bring those collector communities forward. Others will, will, you know, might not, you might trip over your own shoelaces, but you know what, get back up and do it again. Keep going. Um, and I think that's the lesson here. Uh, and it's a wonderful adoption bridge. Well, it seems like, uh, especially in Web3, there's a little more of an acceptance to fail in public. You know, like um, some industries, you have to always have that precision. But this is just so, so new. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know what I'm wondering is uh, when you talk to people, say, like younger folks who don't get crypto, what are the big hangups? Where are they, where are they most confused? I think um, maybe it's just that they haven't used it yet. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies because I didn't like, especially when I was younger, I was, I was on the younger scale, right? So I was like 14 years old, 13, 14, 15, 16. So I wasn't, there wasn't a lot of use case for crypto back, like especially, like there was use case, of course, but there wasn't a lot built, right? Um, Now there's like user wallets, like are a lot easier, like wallets are a lot more pretty you're able to see what's going on it's now so simple like you press bitcoin receive send this is how you do it i think it all comes down to using it when um but the the interest is there so i don't really see any pushback from gen z at all all i see are barriers to entry if that makes sense a lot of kids they want to get in they want to buy bitcoin I was speaking to middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, but a lot of the problem is, is that you have to be 18 to get on an exchange, which I find funny since I've had a debit card since I was 13 years old, that the bank allows you to do that, but you're not allowed to buy crypto at 13. So I think you should, there's a barrier to entry. You can't get on a crypto exchange until you're 18. A lot of this stuff is blocked for you. Um, unless you have a parent that's cool like mine that I would use as like my crypto ATM. I, I would say, hey, dad, here's $20. And he would send me the Bitcoin, um, especially I'm in New York. Bitcoin ATMs are illegal. So if you're outside mm-hmm. of New York, if you're under 18, that's what I definitely recommend is a Bitcoin ATM. But again, all I see are barriers to entry rather than, um, you know, an educational gap. Because again, we're digitally native. This concept is so easy. It's just a matter of, hey, how can we get our hands on this stuff? And that's what the problem is. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget um, that you really can't, if you're under what, 13 or 14 years old, you can't get on the exchanges. Or no, it's 18, you 18, can't get 18. on the, yeah. 18, you can't get on the exchanges. It's so sad. It's so annoying. Um, but, but, it, but at the same time, you're figuring out the workarounds, the loopholes, the yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not, and that's, there's nothing nefarious here. It's just, you want to play and, you know, your generation wants to play and you're figuring out how ways to do it. And, and that is to me, the kind of the impetus of innovation to unto itself in the sense you're solving problems, um, you know, to make your world a little bit better. Uh, and, and those lessons will be taken and used and built upon down the road. Really interesting. Uh, yeah, the exchanges are, uh, oof, all right. Well, you know, we won't go too much into those, but uh, I, I find them kind of um, overbaked and uh, they need to be simplified quite a bit, especially the onboarding process. But that's a whole other discussion. A whole other podcast. <laughs> exactly. Well, would you say the advice then, I guess, for young people is step one, convince mom and dad to let me get on an exchange or, or something of that nature or get a wallet or whatever? I would definitely say talk to your parents. Um, I don't know how many pa- I've onboarded tons of parents into crypto just because they're they're like my friends from school will go home and say, hey, like I need to get on an exchange. Then they would. Then I had my best friend at the time. She had her whole family on board. They're all buying ledgers. They're all very excited buying crypto, getting into it. So I think it's a cool way to educate the family. But definitely go talk to your parents. Go to a Bitcoin ATM outside of New York. They're pretty much everywhere. Um, and just make sure that you could just go there get your wallet store your keys and that's it because at the end of the day all you need is a wallet to get started um even with some games like i mentioned you could even just earn and that's how you could get your start in the space but just by getting it given to you essentially just by working and grinding in a game uh, but yeah definitely talk to the parents you know one of the <laughs> for sure for sure uh it's a great great angle for you um, and you know, another thing that we're learning to just, you know, in doing podcasts and even outside the podcast, you know, in regular, regular life, friends, colleagues, 
family members, not everyone wants to hear your crypto, you know, you know, your, your, your crypto dissertation, uh, your philosophies, your investment ideas, your product ideas, but they are all curious. All of them, every last one of them, some of them will fight you tooth and nail. Uh, my mistake early back early in the day, cause I've been jib jabbing about this forever. Um, is, you know, I would be like, no, you got to get in. You got to do this. You got to do that. There was such urgency. That's what set people off on a bad, like maybe put, put a bad taste in their mouth. And then for, over the years, you realize, meet them where they are and let them become curious on their own time. Uh, one of the things I always say is, you know what? 50 bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, throw it in, sit on it. Play with it, move it around, see how things work. That's all you need to do. If you don't like it, you bail and sell it off. Chances are you might have even made a few bucks, but at least you're getting involved. And then not, not make it all about economics, right? Tell them about the really beautiful things you can do with DAOs, voting, um, you know, true democratization of, of, of communities. Um, it's very powerful. And I, that doorway seems to work with other people, but yeah, different approaches for different people for sure. Well, it's a weird balancing act too, right? Because on one hand we're all rah, rah revolution. <laughs> this is the revolution. Yeah. But then when you talk to people, a lot of people hear revolution, they get kind of freaked out. You know, there's, I want to go back to watching Jimmy Fallon. I'm good. So, <laughs> you know, like how do we, how do we find that? Yeah. Actually, you're right. I shouldn't have. Yeah. I should have heard them. Yeah. You get the premise, just the idea yeah. of like, I want, I want my safe life. I don't want to see a revolution, but I guess how, how do you get, how do you craft your language in a way that's palatable, but also, you know, leans towards some of the excitement coming up? You know, I don't really start off with like, hey, you're going to make money here because, again, that's not the point. Number go up is not the point, even though we all like to see it. It's not the point um, that I always start off with. Hey, this is just digital cash. This is something that you own that really belongs to you. And I start off with you download. A, you have a wallet in your pocket. Now download a digital wallet on your phone where you write these words down. And this is your master key. You hold that offline. And basically what you you use that key to unlock your funds. Whoever you lose your phone, you unlock your funds. Once you have a wallet, you're able to transact with who, where, who, with whoever you want, wherever you, wherever they are, anytime you want to. There's no time. There's no Monday to Friday, nine to five. Anytime you could transact person to person, just like if I handed a dollar bill from my hand to yours. There's nobody in between taking the dollar from my hand and then placing it in your hand. It's just peer to peer, and that's basically how I start off the conversation. You're your own bank, you custody your own funds, transact right to other people, no one in between. Um, and then you could go into every, everything else of the revolution and being your own bank. But it's all about like, you know, get, starting off with the simplicity. It's just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the it, you know, Matt, to your point, it, it is kind of a rev it is a revolution. And I see it that way. And you personally have to kind of rein yourself back in. And it's not about you know, uh, fire, you know, fire and pitchforks, you know, in the streets, you know, creating a revolution and takeovers. No, it's, a, it's more of a silent takeover. It's more of a silent revolution, but it's your revolution and it's, it's absolute freedom. And one of the, you, you hit on it before when you're saying, well, when you go and pay with a, a, a credit card or even an AT, a, a debit card, at uh, your Starbucks, there's five or six hands, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve different hands out. The fees, the POS, POS system, the 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 bank transactions, the, the time it takes to do it. Right, exactly. Right. So there's tons and tons of, and people are like, oh, I didn't know that, or maybe they did know that, and they're like, they don't care. It's like, well, you should care, because that's your money. You know, I guess everything uh, could get cheaper, right, in the future, theoretically, if we can eliminate all these middle, uh, these, these middle people in the middle of the transactions, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there was an article that I read um, in one country where they were using Lightning Network as a way to transact, to move fiat, right? So it moved from fiat in one person's hand over Bitcoin Lightning Network, then in fiat in the next person's hand. And basically that eliminated all of those fees and it saves the country essentially billions of dollars just from all of those fees being taken when you're transacting like that, Um, especially international payments is a pain. So I, I think especially... With Bitcoin alone, the fees are a lot less than something traditional, um, like those typical third parties you would use. Um, but again, we talked about Litecoin; that's cheaper. Even I was a fan. I was um, especially big on Digibyte when I first came into crypto because that's something super fast and super easy to use. Um, but that again, that's a whole other podcast. But I think Digi. I was using. I used to transact Digibyte when I first came into crypto. I was like, wow, okay, this is super fast and stupid, stupid cheap. So. Yeah, I think there's going to be a ton of cryptocurrencies that we're going to use. So as we sort of get closer to wrapping up, and we'll have to do another podcast to cover all these different things, uh, or another episode, um, tell us more about your channel. And I haven't had a chance to see this, but our producer was saying that you you interviewed CZ. You've had some pretty high-profile guests. Um, what has that process been like? How did you see so much growth? What What has your YouTuber influencer journey been like? Because you have a, quite a following now. Thank you. So my journey was kind of just going with the flow. And I feel like that's just the genuine crypto way to do things, right? I started off just tweeting. Then I started creating videos like, hey, happy Saturday, crypto Twitter. What are we buying today? Then it started to move into educational stuff where I was just hitting the streets and going to Manhattan and asking strangers, do you know about Bitcoin? Uh, So that's something that I do quite often. Then I started going to conferences and trying to like in person teach people about Bitcoin cryptocurrency. Not only Gen Z, but I've spoken to middle school, high school, college students. Um, I've spoken to adults, just anybody. Um, and then I also started the Missing Crypto podcast, where it was it was just amazing. I just started interviewing my friends from the space, and then just kept going and just reaching out to people and like CZ Binance, Charlie Lee, um, people from Fox Business, CNBC. Um, I just had Chris Cyborg on, MMA legend. So just, uh, I've also had Ben Askren. Yeah, a bunch of really cool people that, you know, are interested in this space. And it's really funny because the reason why I started the show was because I noticed that Everyone in this space is from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, yet we all end up in the same revolution with the same ideals pushing for freedom. And I love that. So the point of my show, The Missing Crypto Show, is to just go through the journey. Where did you start off? Where did you think your life was going to go? How did you end up here? And what are you doing now? Um, I think it's really powerful just to hear that everyone starts from somewhere. Everyone started at zero, right? I started at zero followers. You guys started at zero followers. We always started somewhere. Right. Um, That's why I really love that show. Then I do educational shorts and I also have the Daily Zest now, which is Monday to Thursday. Might do more. I'm not sure yet. But Monday to Thursday is the Daily Zest, 12 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, where I just break down the daily news. Because, again, if you're working during the day or you're not as involved in crypto as I am, but you want to know what's happening, then I got you every day. I'll let you know what's going on and in a fun, zesty manner. Um, But again, like it's just been really fun. And just I just like to do what I like just doing what I enjoy and people like it too and they enjoy the content so as long as people are enjoying what I enjoy I'll just keep doing it and that's just how I've been rolling with everything mm. yeah you you just jumped in and there's you know sometimes you don't need a formal you know fully baked business plan and strategy to get started and you did and you planted the seeds and certain some of them might not have germinated but many of them did and then that, that's the whole idea of digital marketing is, you know, produce, monitor, evaluate and, and adjust, you know, and now you have like little sub channels bubbling up, which is awesome. That supports a bigger channel. Um, now, do you have any other other channels outside of crypto or are you really just your head is straight on crypto? Straight on crypto. I love crypto. And I think Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, NFTs, it's all inevitable. And this is a revolution that's bigger than all of us. It's the whole world, essentially. And it's something that I want to be a part of. And I want to help people get educated properly in this space and be self-sovereign individuals, be their own bank, be their own store, and just really take control of their value. And that's why I'm here. I'm always going to fight for freedom and educating my generation and the masses. Awesome. 
Fantastic. And so I guess just kind of wrapping up, uh, so people who want to learn more about you, I think they can go to MissTeenCrypto.com. Is there anything else, any place else you recommend that, that someone new uh, perhaps start? Definitely MissTeenCrypto.com has all of my content, all of the links. I would definitely recommend YouTube. My YouTube channel has everything laid out in, uh, in playlists, the, my two shows, educational shorts, clips. Everything you want to see is on that channel on the street. Interviews are on that channel as well. And all my other content is spread out across Instagram, TikTok, everywhere that you're at, I'm at as well. At Twitter, at MissTeenCrypto on every single platform. It's always good when you get the same username across the board. Yeah, thank <laughs> gosh. Not always that, easy that's what to it's do. like to be early. Like I just yeah. went the same day that I created Missing Crypto on Twitter. I was like, okay, I'm double checking Snapchat. I'm double checking Instagram yeah. and all these places. And I just took the username everywhere and just went with it. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it, tur it turns out it's it sounds silly, but it's one of the toughest challenges, actually, is creating that nice consistency across it. Well, uh, Randy, Miss Teen Crypto, Thank you so much for joining us. We we really had a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> yes, you're, you're, thank you so much. Super, super smart, really entertaining. Um, you've got really good insights into the into the markets of the industry in general, um, and you're talking to the right generation. And I think it's it's great. And we can't wait to have you back for sure. Yeah, thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to come back. You guys are super super cool. I'm really glad oh. that we got to hang out today. <laughs> All right. You got to tell my kids that, by the way. <laughs> I definitely will. Record it, clip it, send it. I got will. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.